Good morning, church. Pastor Hez, one of the elders here. Um, And I'm glad to be before you this morning. And I just ask that you would, as we begin, pray with me. Amen. Thank you, Lord, for another opportunity to be your agent. Another opportunity to proclaim your glorious word to your church. Pray, Holy Spirit, that you would that you would fill me in this moment. That I might pray with great power that your words would move hearts this morning. Pray this in Jesus mighty name. Amen. Good morning, church. I'm glad that you all are here with us this morning. If you're a visitor with this morning, I hope you feel welcomed as you have joined us this morning. And I'm, I'm excited to be with and before you all as we will be starting a, a new series titled uh, True Gospel, True Christian, a series in which I will be leading us through a study of the book of Galatians whenever I'm before you. And my hope and my prayer is simply that as we as we go through this uh, series, as we walk through the text, that the truth of the gospel would would truly come alive to us, that we might get a, a grasp of the the beauty and intricate nature of God's grace so that we might truly live in it, especially church as we we navigate the times that we are in, especially as we, we navigate things like social media and technology uh, that invites so many voices into our minds and hearts, voices that seeks to dictate uh, what the Christian faith is and how it should be lived out. And so as, as we go through this study, My hope is that we can understand what truly makes gospel news good news and understanding that Paul gives us in the book of Galatians with great fire and passion as he seeks to to push through all of the voices that have infiltrated the Galatian churches, voices church, that he sharply opposed as they have worked to discredit him and the gospel that he preached, voices that have convinced many of the the Galatian believers that, that Paul was withholding things from them, significant things, as they believed that the, the Gentile followers of Christ was called to uh, so-called proselytize or, or follow the requirements and traditions of Jewish law. They accused Paul of relaxing those requirements and looked to convince Gentile believers that, that they were not truly part of the, the family of God because of it. In other words, church, they believed that Gentiles must become like Jews and follow Jewish traditions in order to truly be a part of God's family and enter into the promise of his kingdom. And because of this church, there was, there was great division bubbling up within the church 
as many who claim to be believers now refuse to fellowship and do life with these Gentile brothers and sisters. One of the main things, church, that they refused was table fellowship. They refused to eat with them. The very thing that we heard about uh, last week through Clint's message. In other words, church, their understanding of Christ and the gospel had, had major implications socially and politically. And as Paul heard these things, he swiftly took to the pen to oppose these claims as he saw them working against the unity in Christ that we all share. And so he opens his letter to these churches and as he opens it, he begins by first addressing and making clear the truth about his calling and authority to proclaim the gospel message. Secondly, he seeks to make clear the truth that the gospel message that he proclaims uh, uh, is the very true gospel. And lastly, he seeks to make clear the goal of the gospel message that he proclaims. Paul, with great brilliance, church, and wisdom, sums up the whole of his letter through a brief summary in his salutation and opening, as he seeks to make clear from the very beginning the whole truth and nothing but the truth of the gospel. The truth, church, that is not a matter of tradition and law, but a matter of grace and glory, where the grace of God invades our world and glory goes to him and him alone. And so as we jump into this book this morning, we're going to simply park in the opening verses of Galatians chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, where the main idea of the sermon is simply that the true gospel is a gospel of grace that serves to bring about God's ultimate glory. And so as Paul opens this letter in verse 1, he begins by reminding the, these believers in Galatia of the foundation of his gospel authority as he concisely reiterates to them the calling to which he was called, which is a calling of grace. A calling that he simply states in verse 1. He says, Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through men, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead and all the brothers who are with me. Church, Paul begins the building of his argument for this gospel by immediately going to ground zero as he addresses the foundation of the, the claims of those who oppose him, the foundation of which finds itself in authority. Interestingly enough, this was the same thing that, that was challenged over and over again in Jesus's ministry. And I don't think, church, that this is just a uh, a coincidence, but I think that it is more telling of a culture during that time, church, which was a culture where authority was important. For them, it wasn't just about the message 
that you, that you were proclaiming as, as there were many different people during that time proclaiming different things. But it was also about the, the source from which the message derived. As that source brought with it, church, great validity, especially as we're talking about uh, religious identity and, and beliefs. And so Paul begins by establishing that foundation and authority as he immediately addresses his calling as an apostle. Though Paul has has addressed himself as an apostle before, even more so at the beginning of, of this letter, he seems to be using this term very intentionally. As this word, apostle, seeks to serve two purposes for Paul, in that it, it first looks to serve the purpose of establishing the fact that the gospel that Paul is preaching, church, is not a gospel that he has contrived in and of himself, but it is a message that he was first called to himself and then a message that he was sent to proclaim by another. Hence, the meaning of the word apostle in, in Greek simply means sent one or messenger. In fact, we see this word used throughout the New Testament as it, as it was used to describe those who were usually sent out by churches to take messages to, to other churches or to take the gospel to unbelievers. We see this church in John 13, verse 16, as it says, Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. We see another example in 2 Corinthians 8, verse 23, as it said, As for Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker for your benefit. And as for your brothers, they are messengers of the churches, the glory of Christ. In both of these cases, the word messenger is the same Greek word that is translated here, church, as apostle. And so Paul is establishing from the very beginning of this letter uh, that the gospel message that he preached is not a message of his own. It's not Paul's understanding of the gospel, but it's a message that he was given as a sent one, as an apostle. And because of that, the authority church that, that he speaks with in this letter is not authority that has derived from him, but it is an authority that has derived from the one who sent him. And he wants to make clear from the very beginning that not only did this, this gospel message, church, that, that he preached not come from himself, but he also says that it did not come from or through any man. But he says this message came from Jesus Christ and God the Father themselves. Paul makes an extraordinary claim here, a claim, church, um, as he, as he is, is saying to us that Jesus spoke this very message to him personally. 
This is a claim that we see written about in the book of Acts and one that he will later lay out in great detail. And as he opens this letter, he wants to make clear to them, to those who are challenging his gospel message, that the foundation of his calling and commissioning from which his authority derives finds its source and validity in God himself. As it was God who called him, God who gave him the message, and God who sent him. In other words, church, Paul is saying that he is simply an ambassador or sent one for Christ. And he is saying not, he's saying this not hypothetically, church, but literally. In other words, Jesus spoke the very gospel message to him, which is the second reason why he uses this word apostle. Because Jesus commissioned and sent Paul, which means that any opposition and claim against the gospel that he preaches is an opposition and claim against Christ himself. Which is why immediately after this this opening to this letter, Paul says to these believers, who has bewitched you and led you to believe another gospel? As he is saying to them that, that anything that comes against what I taught you comes against Christ himself, who is the very author of the gospel. Paul wants to make clear that he is not just a sent one. He is not just what we call a little a apostle, but he is claiming to be one sent with the authority and calling as the other 12 apostles who were with Christ throughout the bulk of his ministry. Those who were with him, learning from his teachings, and then was sent out from them. In making this claim, uh, Paul is indeed saying that he carries the same authority as the other 12 apostles who, who Christ personally taught and commissioned himself which is why later we'll see in this letter that he, he actually rebukes Peter, who is probably the most evident apostle. Paul also wants to make clear to these churches in Galatia that this is the same gospel that you were given. It's the same gospel that you were called to when I brought it to you, and the same gospel that you were commissioned to share with others. He says, this is the foundation. This is the gospel foundation that should be the foundation of the Christian life. Though we aren't called and commissioned to be apostles as Paul and the 12 were, we all as believers, much in the same way as Paul and the 12, find at the foundation of our lives and ministry a calling and commissioning of Christ as he has called us from, from, from darkness into light, as he, has, as he has brought us, church, from death to life, a calling where he has given us faith to see and believe his gospel message. And then he, he tells us to go out 
and take this gospel message to those who are in need of it. This church is why we are are excited about sending a church plant into High Point. This is why we're excited about raising up and sending out messenger uh, missionaries because we believe that we stand with Paul as a witness of this very gospel. Much in the same way that he describes in verse 2 as the, the brothers who are with him. He says this to say, listen, I'm not the only one who believes this gospel. I'm not the only one who is standing on it. In fact, you are the very evidence of it, church. But he is saying, I am one who has been sent with a message from the only one who truly has the the power to change lives. And I have many of of which includes you as evidence of that gospel power. Those who who can call and attest to the fact that it was nothing in and of themselves that caused them to believe. In other words, all they know is that there was a time when they were blind, but now they can see. Therefore, we all as believers, church, can can all speak of the effectual calling of God's grace, a calling that we would say is, is irresistible as Christ met us dead in our sins and called us to new life in him through his gospel message of which Paul is proclaiming. Which brings us to our second focus and theme, church, that we will zero in on as Paul reminds us of what the gospel truly is. As he reminds them as of what has been done for us through the gospel of grace. He says in verse 3, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. Paul, as only he can, in his introduction, lays a foundation that he is going to expound on with with a great veracity later in the letter. He, like a very skilled lawyer, makes an opening statement uh, that both states his premise and prepares the way for the swift rebuke that is soon to follow, as he will shortly after his his introduction begin to make light work of these claims against him. But for now, he just gives us two short verses that that are pregnant, church, with truth. Truth that he will unpack for the churches in Galatia, making it clear to them the errors of those who have tried to lead them to another way. Those who Paul claims have essentially caused them to follow another gospel. A gospel message that claims that there is more to add to the finished work of Christ. A message, church, that that pulls from the glory of God and his grace. Y'all seem to not be very moved this morning by this glory and grace. But that's okay because we're going to go deeper as it is by faith through his grace that that we have been saved and made right with God. A grace 
and mercy that has ushered us into his very kingdom of peace and made us one with his kingdom family. Though Paul uses these terms of of grace and peace in a more common sense, he once again takes a common term and uses it intentionally, church, to serve his very purpose. As the main thrust and argument is that the gospel that he is proclaiming is one of grace and peace. One in which grace and peace that derives from the the work and person church of a triune God comes to us as a great act of love and faithfulness. Love and faithfulness that is fuel for the father sending his son and the son giving of himself. Paul will later expound on the work uh, of, the, of sending the Holy Spirit, but for now he zeroes in on the work of the Father and Son as he wants to show his church the great grace of the cross as Christ, who is the very definition of grace, comes to us bringing great peace. Peace that comes as our broken relationship with God and man and this world gets reconciled through him laying down his life on a cross. Paul in claiming that Jesus was sent by the Father and that Jesus gave himself for our sins is is showing us how Jesus fulfills the very prophecy of Isaiah 53 as it tells us that God the Father would would send one who would bear our griefs and carry our great sorrows, as it explains that the one to come would be smitten by God and afflicted for us, that he would be pierced, church, for our transgressions and, and crushed for our iniquity, that he would face great chastisement so that we would have what? Peace. He would be the one who heals us with his wounds, calling us back to himself as we, like sheep, have gone astray as our iniquity, church, is laid on him. That by the will of the Father, he might be crushed as an offering and sacrifice for our great guilt. That we would be made righteous through him, church, so that he might deliver us from what Paul calls the present evil age. A phrase that Paul uses that that has great importance, especially with the Jewish believers. It's a phrase that Paul will expound on later in his letter as he makes the claim that Jesus through the cross has, has inaugurated a new age, a period in which Jesus begins the forming of his new creation, as it is through the cross that he reverses the very curse of sin that has been laid on it, paying the debt with his very life. Paul is claiming that Christ, through his death, is now ushered us into a new age of peace, 
as he has not only brought about a new time, but he has now ushered in his kingdom rule and reign here on earth. In fact, not only did Paul claim this, but church, this is the very thing that Christ came proclaiming to us as he constantly announced the coming of his great kingdom. A coming that can only be done by God himself as he inaugurated this coming kingdom through his death and resurrection. In other words, church, he has now ushered us into his age where he has made us righteous with himself and invited us into his kingdom as his bride. Amen. That we might not just become citizens of this kingdom, church, but that we might be wed to him as his perfect bride, becoming children of the Father who sent him to execute his perfect plan. A plan that makes us church heirs with Christ. Heirs with Christ. As he brings us into his, his kingdom family, not of anything that we have done on our own, but all through the work of him and his grace. What can you add to that? We have been freed from the curse of the law and sin. We're no longer controlled and ensnared by it, left to our own works, but we have been rescued by the very work of grace that has come to us and brought with it great peace. And now, we as kingdom citizens live between two worlds in an already but not yet sense. As Jesus has begun the process of making his new creation, or I should say, as making his creation new. Beginning with his most prized possession, an image of his great glory, which is his church. Paul wants the Galatian churches and us to know that this is what Christ has provided for us. This is what has come to us by his grace. And that is the basis from which we now are called to live as he invites us into his kingdom reign. He makes us all one new man by his spirit, one new man who have been made brothers and sisters by the power of the cross, not by the law. Can you imagine what that meant for them during this time? He's talking to Jews and Gentiles who all they have known their whole life is division. And now he's saying, you are one, brothers and sisters in the cross. This would have meant that both sides would have to cast some things away, would have to take some things off and then pick some other things up, putting them on. This meant that now you were called to fellowship with those who you have never associated with. 
in the same way that you would those who you have associated with your whole life. And you would have to disassociate it with many who you have associated with your whole life. You would have to learn a whole new way of living. And this is the very landscape that he is writing to that we get in Galatians. As some are calling these Galatian brothers and sisters to turn away from this new way that Christ has called us to. And revert back to their old way of thinking and living. Paul, with great emphasis and vigor, rebukes this idea with great passion. As he works throughout the letter to show how reverting back to their old former ways of life strips the gospel of its ultimate message and purpose. A purpose that is the last focus and theme of Paul's introduction, as he reminds us that it is by and through grace that God gets his ultimate glory, a glory of grace. Paul ends this intricate introduction with verse 5 that says that it is to God to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul once again uses terms that seem to be common, but he uses them for a very intentional purpose. As this theme of glory brings with it many implications that we will see throughout this letter. As one of the most, the most beautiful parts of this letter, church, is the triune nature of it. Paul will show us how the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit has worked on our behalf together in harmony to bring about redemption and the renewal of their great creation. Paul shows us through his exposition of the gospel how, how, how the work of salvation and redemption is a work done by God for our good and his glory alone. Though he uses us, church, as his agents, as his sent ones, it is clear to us that he sovereignly planned and orchestrates every part and detail of it from beginning to end. And any attempt, church, on our claim, on our part to claim a hand in that process is an attempt to steal glory that only is made for God alone. This is why Paul opens this letter by showing how from the foundation of his ministry till now, all the work that has been done was not a work in and of himself, but it all has been a work orchestrated by God through grace for his glory. Grace, church, that came to him in the midst of him working on uh, to gain his own righteousness. And, 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 and that grace came in and freed him from his pursuit of self-glory. A pursuit that led him not only to be zealous for the law, but a, a pursuit church that led him to a bloodthirst where he was led to, to not only divide and, and refuse to eat with believers, but to persecute them and take their lives. 
A way that Paul knows oh too well, one that he will not let continue as he has seen firsthand the effects and results of this very way. A way that is the antithesis to the beauty of the gospel of grace. The gospel that calls for believers to enjoy the glory of God's grace together Grace that brings with it an inheritance of a promise. A promise that guarantees us joy in the presence of our God and King forever. As it comes through the work of the Holy Spirit, who is transforming us into the perfect image and glory of Christ, that we might bring him ultimate glory as we dwell with him forever in the new heavens and earth that he is even now preparing for us. Where we will enjoy his perfect glory and peace forever and ever. For this is the gospel that we proclaim, church. And it is good. For it is so good. It is so good better than we could ask or think. And Paul is calling for us to delight in this gospel today. To let this, this delight form and shape our lives as believers that we might truly see his kingdom on earth. Therefore, I pray for us here, church, at King's Cross that that we would truly see and know and, and, and understand this gospel, that you would know of this great grace of Christ and that, that many of you would, would have the freedom to rest in it, knowing that the work for you has been finished. It is done to tell us that it is finished. There's nothing you can do to make yourself righteous with God. It is finished. I pray that God would free your heart and your mind, giving you great assurance in the beauty of his gospel this morning. And the beauty of his finished work that he did as he laid down on the cross for you. Pray that for many of you, the evidence of this work in your own heart and life would be clear to you this very morning. And I pray that it would be from that great evidence of it that, that you would live out a life of gratitude that would lead you to put on his ways and likeness, church. That through his way, we would break through all of our comforts, all of our backgrounds and traditions, all of the ways of the world that we would truly have one mind and one spirit, having all things in common, dedicated to word and prayer of the Lord. I pray that God would pour out his spirit on, on this community that we might truly overcome the walls of our tradition that many of us fight to keep. 
that we would make his new way evident to the world that when they see us, they might know of his goodness and glory so that the Lord would knit us into a community that will draw all of those who are dead in sin into his marvelous light, that they would have new life as they see the glory of our great God. And if you are an unbeliever with us today, I pray that God would truly speak his great gospel to your heart. I pray that he would open your eyes to see it, that he would open your ears to hear it, and that his voice would, would come through so strong that it would push every voice out of the way that continues to confuse you as you walk in another way. I pray that he would give you a new heart and that he would send the promised Holy Spirit to you that he might enlighten your heart and transform you into the perfect and beautiful image of his son. That you might truly experience his grace and peace as you bring him great glory in his kingdom community forever and ever. Amen. Pray with me, church.